These are the daily lectionary comments for January the 23rd. We're going to look at uh, Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, where Joel talks about how God will respond to his people if they do indeed repent. And then he looks forward to the New Testament era when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Then we look at uh, Romans chapter 11, beginning at verse 25, and Paul con concludes his discussion of the relationship in Israel and the New covenant kingdom of God. And Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. In yesterday's reading, um, Joel called the people of God to repent, to return to the Lord their God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He talks about how the, the people need to gather together in a giant act of corporate uh, penance, to cry out to the Lord, the priests and the old men and the young men and the women and the children and everybody. Um, in today's reading, uh, he reminds the people of what God does when they repent. And, and that is, just as his wrath and all the curses that are outlined in the law of Moses come upon his people when they sin and turn away from him, now he reminds them of all the, 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 the blessings that God promises uh, in the law of Moses if they will be faithful. And, and he speaks as though it has happened. So suddenly the, the Lord has pity on his people. And now everything that the locusts had destroyed and all the damage and destruction that they had done is now restored. Not only that, but also... We start talking about how God providing the, the, the rains at the proper time. The vats will be filled with water and with wine and there'll be uh, grain and there will be happiness and joy in the land. And the people will rejoice. The beasts will rejoice. The wilderness will rejoice. The cities, everybody will rejoice. So once again, Joel is not calling the people to uh, out for their sinfulness for no reason. He's crying out to them, number one, so that they may avoid the destruction which is about to come on, upon them on this day of the Lord. And then secondly, and an even greater blessing, the blessings that will be had for those who embrace the Lord and are faithful to him. So this is how uh, the, our, our reading today begins. Verses 18 through 27 is, is talking about the blessings of of uh, faithfulness to God, which are still available to the Israelites if they will return to the Lord their God. Then, um, Joel then takes a, a leap forward. And he says, in, in verse um, 28, he says, and it shall come to pass afterwards. So Peter quotes this verse. Uh, and, and there are many other places in Isaiah and Ezekiel both that talk about this time, this day when God will revive his people and in fact revive the world by the, the, the giving and the pouring out of the Spirit. And Joel is going to do this very thing here. In fact, it is this passage uh, that Peter cites uh, on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit actually is given out, when the New Testament era actually does begin. He cites back to this passage. He could have looked at others, but this is the one he looks at. God is pouring out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. And it began then and it continues to this day. Now, uh, let's, uh, let's take uh, a look at, at uh, some basic points here. 
when you look at verse 28 through 32. Number one, uh, the Spirit is to be poured out on all flesh, and that means all different kinds of people. It is not reserved for prophets. It is not reserved for individuals through whom God is about to do something. In other words, given on an ad hoc basis according to the need, um, but, uh, uh, or, or <clears throat> but it is now to be poured out in its fullness on all different kinds of people. Of course, you understand that the Holy Spirit has always been operative, even in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is operative in the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is enabling even Israelites to believe uh, the words that God has spoken through Moses. But we're talking about a fuller outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not just the Holy Spirit necessary to believe, but the Holy Spirit necessary to thrive and to, and to do the works of God. So, number one, it's going to be poured out on all flesh, not just on Israel, not just on prophets, uh, uh, not just now and again, but poured out continually on all different kinds of people, which is why Jesus says, um, uh, make disciples of all nations, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Through that baptism, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all nations. Again, all different kinds of people. Number two, it will be poured out before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Remember that the this onslaught of the locusts is is seen as as the day of the Lord, but sort of uh, a lesser day of the Lord, a day when God rebukes and judges his people for their faithlessness. But there is also a great and awesome day of the Lord. It's the final time that God will rise up and judge the entire world. And that's what uh, uh, Joel is now referring to. So he starts by talking about a lesser day of the Lord, some judgment of God upon uh, the land and his people. And now his mind goes forward to the last great judgment on Judgment Day. And, and so he's saying here that this Holy Spirit will be poured on all flesh before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Why is it necessary that the Holy Spirit be poured out before the great and awesome day of the Lord? Well, because what is going to happen before the great and awesome and on the great and awesome day that day will involve wonders in heaven and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness because of all the smoke, the moon to blood because of all the smoke. In other words, it's a terrible, terrible time. Um, the, the, great, the last great day of the Lord is going to be a day of darkness, a day of doom, like, like what we had with these um, locusts, only infinitely worse. And the Holy Spirit is to be poured out on all flesh because if it weren't, nobody would survive this great and awesome day of the Lord. But it says here, uh, uh, number three, it says, from Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape. So the, the place where salvation will come from is the presence of the Lord. Uh, it's, it's using the Old Testament imagery of Jerusalem uh, and Mount Zion. Um, but but we know now that, that the new temple is the Holy Christian Church, and it's not just in Jerusalem and Zion, but where it is wherever the Holy Christian Church is. And it, it, so there's, there, there are those who escape because of those the Lord our call, God calls. Uh, this is in verse 32. But listen to this wonderful verse here. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is cited in, by Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And uh, 
So that's the, that's the key. The great day of judgment is coming on this earth. The whole New Testament era, the kingdom of God is really an effort by God to prepare a people who can survive it. How will they survive it? They will survive it by calling upon the name of the Lord, and those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In order for people to call upon the name of the Lord and survive, in order for the mission of the church to proceed to the ends of the earth, in order for God's name to be glorified everywhere on earth, and so that there will be a rich harvest on the great and awesome day of the Lord, and not everybody perish, this Holy Spirit is being poured out. And that's the whole purpose of baptism and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Christian Church is to prepare a people who will survive the wrath to come and live today in order for others to survive. The purpose of the church is to save people from this wrath to come by giving them through holy baptism the Holy Spirit and faith. And so in this way, God's plan uh, is to be worked out. And Joel is looking forward to the great and wonderful uh, future of Israel, but really also as with Ezekiel and as with Isaiah, he is looking forward to this worldwide mission of God that involves all the world and the Gentiles and not just the Jews. That's why it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And our, our reading today in Romans is uh, awkwardly divided. It, it really is just the last little bit of Paul's discussion regarding the, the relationship between Israel and the New Testament people of God. And then it transitions over into call a call for Christians to offer their bodies as, as a living sacrifices, which he says is their spiritual worship. In other words, it is, the, it is true worship that is worked by the Holy Spirit and it is done in the body. Okay, so it's the things that we do worked by the Holy Spirit, anything worked by the Holy Spirit to the glory of God, is worship okay it may not be the same kind of worship that when you come into church and sing praises but it is worship to god it glorifies his name now before we get to that paul says uh, uh he refers to all israel thus all israel um uh, shall uh, be saved he's he's referring uh to that um here in uh oh where did it go uh, thus all israel uh, shall be saved. And what does he mean by that, that all Israel will be saved? This is verse um, uh, 26. Well, what he means is the fullness of the people of God, which includes all those from Israel and all those from the Gentiles who will find their righteousness in Jesus Christ by coming to him in faith. All Israel does not include everybody uh, who is descended according to the flesh from Jacob, because many of them fell away. And it does include many Gentiles who were not Israel according to the flesh, but who will be grafted in uh, 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 through, uh, through faith in Christ. So all Israel is referring to the fullness of the people of God that will consist of Jews and Gentiles in one holy Christian church. Thus, all Israels shall be saved and saved by faith. Then he makes this um, uh, comment. He says, look, verse uh, uh, 28 says, as regards the gospel, they, that is unbelieving Israel, are enemies of God for your sake. This is unbelieving uh, Israel. Not all Israel, but the unbelieving portion. They are enemies uh, 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 of God for, uh, they're enemies of God because they do not believe and submit to his Christ. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So in other words, God chose Israel 
And although many of the Israelites may have rejected the call and have fallen away, Paul says that the, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Once he calls you, you are called. Now, you may not be saved because you may turn around the other, other way, but it is not as though the call is good for one minute and either you accept the call at that minute or God revokes it. We could say a similar thing in baptism. When a person is baptized, um, that is the call of God to follow them, you know, follow him. If a person refuses to follow and rejects and denounces everything that their baptism calls them to and goes and lives a life of the flesh, and then later repents and decides to come back to God, we do not rebaptize them. God has called them and offered them these gifts. They have refused them, but they still stand offered to them, and the call is still real. So in this sense, uh, it's, it, it now, now it's time to take it. Now it's time to take it and get serious with it. In a similar way, God continues to call Israel. They are, for the sake of the root, for the sake of their forefathers, still holy to God. He still uh, uh, has a special um, uh, a place for them and a special calling. Now, that doesn't mean that they're saved apart from Christ. That, that does mean, however, that, they, that God continues to call them to submit to their own Christ, their own king, Jesus of Nazareth, who was a Jew, and it was the king of the Jews. And that is not ever going to be taken from them. So it is not as though because Israel did not accept Christ, now uh, God no longer calls them to believe in Christ. Uh, he no longer calls, that, that salvation is no longer offered to them. That's not true. Nor is it true that for some reason or another, these people are in no sense remembered by God as something that he had used and through whom the Christ came. That is not true. They continue to be the object of God's love and he continues to call out to them. But understand that the call is to believe in Christ. It is not a separate way of being saved. It's not as though Jews are going to be saved without believing in Jesus uh, and Gentiles will be saved by believing in Jesus. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through faith in Christ. It's just that the Israelites are the special object of God. He continues to call them and continues to call them. And we as Christians ought to continue to hold out that hope for them and to continue to reach out to them. Uh, yes, they are enemies uh, regarding the gospel because they don't believe it, but we still preach to them the gospel and pray that they would uh, believe it and, re and we rejoice whenever that happens. All right, there's not a lot more I can say because I just don't have time here, but uh, as I mentioned, there, there's this transition. Chapter 12, verse 1 is a, is a strong transition in Romans, and it's kind of odd that it's right here in the middle of our reading, but that's how it broke down. So, so you could say that the first 11 chapters of, of Romans are heavily doctrinal. They are talking about the what's and how's and why's and what God has done and how it all fits together uh, of, the, uh, of the New Testament uh, uh, people. Beginning at chapter 12, verse 1, he now turns to the practical implications, essentially addressing the question, how then shall we live? And so he begins with that. And he says, by the mercies of God, he says, by the mercies of God, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. When he says by the mercies of God, what he's referring to is the previous 11 chapters. Okay, The previous 11 chapters have, have ex explained for us how merciful God is and all that he's done for us. And now he's saying, uh, in light of all that God has done, in Christ, in, in light of the gifts uh, of, that he has given you, 
offer your bodies uh, 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 or present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, your spiritual worship, sometimes it's called your reasonable worship. Um, uh, but the, the point here being is that Christians are not called only to pray and only to praise, but also to live and to offer themselves their time, their efforts, their energies, their bodies themselves to extol and hallow God's name. And this is a way in which we bear witness to him. And this is a way that we worship him. And we do that in response to all that God has done for us in Christ. The first 11 chapters are about is what God has done for us in Christ. And beginning in chapter 12, verse one, we start talking about how we ought to respond to that ingratitude. In other words, the Christian life is a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of gratitude that involves the whole of our lives in gratitude for Christ having given the whole of his life for us.